So uh, we're just going to pray a moment, and then I'm going to um, come to the final section of Revelation. So Father, we want to commit um, your word, and uh, Father, we, we thank you for it. We thank you for all that you do and the way you speak to us. And Lord, just thank you for the transforming power of the Word of God. And Lord, that by your Spirit, Lord, you change lives. So Father, we want to pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, it would be significant. Lord, you would catch our hearts. Catch us, Lord, and Lord, just change us once again. Lord, our prayer as we've been worshipping, Lord, as we become more and more like you, Jesus, that we keep walking sometimes, Lord, one foot in front of the other. But Lord, we are heading to the same destination. And Lord, we've got a wonderful eternity ahead of us with our God and King. So Lord, just help us as we settle into your word to get our focus on you and to keep it there. Pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So two weeks ago, we started this tour of the heavenly city. And as John's tour now comes to an end in this very last chapter of the book of Revelation, he shows us some of the top attractions that we will see there. And in many ways, he leaves some of the very best to last. Let's begin. If you open your Bibles in Revelation 22, if you can't find it, just go to the end. It's right there. And we're starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And down the middle of the great streets of the city, on each side of the river stood trees of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Just stop there for a moment. The top two attractions that John describes here are a river and a tree. Not that dramatic, really, at first, at first glance, except that this river flows with the water of life that comes from the very throne of God and of the Lamb. In fact, we read a similar description of a river flowing from the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12, which, just like the one in Revelation, speaks of God's grace and God's care and God's provision. Also, we read in Psalm 46, verse 4, which describes the river whose streams make glad the city of God, a picture of the Holy Spirit, of pleasure of satisfaction, of refreshment, of prosperity. And then the tree. Well, the tree was the tree of life, and it produced fruit every month. In fact, it had miraculous leaves, leaves that brought 
healing. In fact, the healing was for the very nations themselves. And this tree speaks of an eternity without death, an eternity without boredom, an eternity without sickness. This is what it is to spend forever, to spend eternity with Jesus. Back at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 8 to 17, we read about another garden. And there are some significant similarities between the garden found at the very beginning of this world and the one that will be found when this world comes to an end. And the Garden of Eden also contained a river and it contained a tree. The tree in Eden was also the tree of life. And the river, as in Revelation, brought irrigation to the plants and it watered the crops in this garden. The river and the tree symbolize abundant life in both of these gardens. But one thing is missing from the garden that we find in Revelation. Do you know what it was? Verse 3 was missing from that garden. There's no longer any curse. There's no longer any curse. And God is dwelling with his people in this new city and in this amazingly beautiful garden. And the curse of sin is gone. It's just not there. The curse that entered this world through Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God, when they chose to eat that fruit from the tree of knowledge of, of I forgot what it's called, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There it is, got it. Knowledge of good and evil. Memory blank for a moment. As they chose to eat that fruit, they disobeyed God. They, they chose to believe the lie of Satan rather than to believe the truth of God. And sin entered into this world. And each one of us struggle with sin on a daily basis because we choose so often to go our way rather than to go God's way. But listen, sin will not exist in this heavenly city. In fact, not only will there be no sin there, but there will be no opportunity to sin there. God will be with his people all of the time. Satan will be in hell. All of creation will be made new and the curse of sin will be gone forever. Amazing. And we live in hope because of Jesus. And the whole of the biblical story is about how God has made a way for us to come back to the tree of life. To a life of eternal blessing without the curse of God's judgment of sin hanging over our lives. But there's far more to this garden in Revelation than just two people walking around it. There is a whole city community of people from every nation, from every background, enjoying life with God. In verse 3 and verse 5, we are told what God's people are going to be doing. And listen, it's not cloud surfing. It's not sort of hanging around for, for just days on end, just bored out of our minds thinking, oh, no, it's another day of nothing. No, we will be serving and we will be reigning. Listen, we are called to be priests and we're called to be kings. And verse 3 is a priestly role. In heaven, our service is going to be perfect. 
For now we seek to serve God on earth, but we, we are hindered by our sin, we are hindered by our weakness, but, the, but all that's going to be gone one day, all that's going to be gone when we get to glory, perfect service in a perfect environment. And then in verse 5 it speaks of a kingly role. We shall reign forever and ever. And as believers we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies already. Listen, that is your position in Christ right now. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Have a read later on. But it tells you who you are in Christ already. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You reign with him already. But in this life, we do it imperfectly in a sense. But in that new Jerusalem, we will be kings over a new heaven and a new earth. What an honor. And what grace. So what God's people will do in that eternal city is what God's people have always and originally been created to do. But it's also what we should be seeking to spend our time doing here and now. Our calling as God's faithful people is to serve God and to rule this world under God. But one day, this will be done perfectly in the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one, the only triune God, the one who is Lord, the one who is God over all. And we live in hope. And God is on the throne of that city, verses 1 and 3. And the relationship that we will have with him will be absolutely incredible. Listen, we are going to see him face to face because we are his. We are marked, we are sealed by his spirit. And God has made you for relationship with himself. In this life, well unfortunately that relationship is broken down too often. That relationship is the source sometimes of so much sorrow. But its restoration is going to be the source of every blessing in Christ. And this is home. It's home. A place where we are citizens of. But it's not just about then. Listen, we should be living out these heavenly values right now. Marked by God. Filled with the Spirit of God. In the presence of God. As we seek to serve God and to rule under God today. So as we're traveling towards heaven. We should already be carrying these heavenly values. And even though things get hard in the Christian life. We've, we've sort of tackled some of that in our worship already this morning even though that's the reality of life for, for so many of us things get difficult there are challenges that we face listen this vision should keep encouraging us to keep trusting to keep going to keep obeying let's pick it up again verse 6 the angel speaking to John the angel said to me these words are trustworthy and true the Lord, the God who inspired the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets 
and with all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. The first thing we need to do is to live in hope. The second thing is to live by the truth. Apparently, there are something like 130 million books in existence. Haven't counted them all, to be fair, but I'll, I'll take that one. Each year, a staggering 3 million books were published in the U.S. alone. But there is only one book that is utterly unique and truly prophetic. And that, of course, is the Bible. And John describes the words of his book as trustworthy and true. Because these words have come from the very throne and from the mouth of God And the word of God always demands a response. Which is why John writes in verse 7, he says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And the right response to God's word is to listen, is to obey, is to keep it, is to put it into practice within our lives. And God's word is truth. And listen, it is so precious, so precious to us. And these visions, these are not just John's wishful thinking. It's not that sort of some sort of product of his subconsciousness, so it's trying to help him get through his time on, as he is in prison on this uh, Isle of Patmos. No, this is the revelation from God given to us to keep us going in our faith so that we may worship God alone. Listen, we don't worship angels. We don't worship any other divine being. We don't worship anything else. We worship God alone. He is the one, the only one who is worthy of our praise and our worship. Verse 10, John goes on, he says, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and not go through the gates into the city. I'm sorry, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts and the sexually immoral, the murderers, the, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root, I am the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone, takes any, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. 
And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which is described within this scroll. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4, Daniel is told, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. By contrast, we read here in chapter 22 and verse 10 that John is told not, not to seal up the book of prophecy. Why? Because the time is near. The end time which Daniel had been told about has now come. Revelation is not about some future event, but it's about what is now. It's about what is soon to take place. We have seen throughout the book of Revelation how John, led by the Spirit, has reached back into the Old Testament and used the imagery and the the pictures of the Old Testament, including that of Daniel's prophecy and Ezekiel and Isaiah and many other parts of the Old Testament. Testament, and we, and you, listen, you cannot miss this the completeness of God's Word. The Scripture is His own best interpreter, and it's so important that we read it, that we understand it, that we memorize it, that we study it, that we just really get to grips with the Word of God. And listen, sometimes, and some of you perhaps even just take it for granted. We take it too lightly sometimes. I'm guilty of it from time to time. And we, we just don't get the transforming power of this book. This is life-changing. When the Holy Spirit shines the light on it and we read it and we begin to allow it to take root within our lives, listen, it will change you and will transform you. And I don't think we get it because if we got it, we would spend more time there. We would read it more. We would, it would never be a day that would go past that we didn't spend time in the Word of God and just allow it to shape us and to change us. Listen, we need to t- get grips with this book. I was chatting to some of the young folks last Sunday afternoon and just saying, you know, if you spend the time in there, if you spend time before God, listen, it will radically change your life. It will radically change it. And as the Spirit of God and the Word of God come together in a person's life, you will never be the same again. Listen, we need to get to grips with the Word of God. And there is a warning here in verse 18 that we need also to take heed of. We're told that we must not add or we must not take away anything from the prophetic words of this book. Listen, this is a stark and it's a serious warning. If we begin to tamper with the Word of God, we do so at our peril. The letter of Revelation and the the Bible as a whole is God's Word. If we tamper with God's Word by adding something to it or taking something away from it, it no longer is trustworthy and true. The Bible is not a scrapbook. It's not something we can get our scissors out and begin to cut pieces out because we don't like them or even get our glue out and begin to stick little pieces in because we we think we do like them. The Bible is complete. It is perfect. Timothy says it is God-breathed, useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, and we must guard it, we must watch over it, we must keep it intact. 
but also we need to understand that this side of eternity, there are some parts where we're going to struggle to really get our heads around. The book of Revelation, of course, is a great example of that. Nobody fully understands the Bible completely. It's said that N.T. Wright is supposed to have said that he thinks he's potentially wrong in his interpretation of Scripture by up to 30%. The problem, he doesn't know which 30% that is. There's some truth in that. See, nobody fully understands the Bible or can explain everything in it. And there are some areas of the Bible that just are extremely difficult for us to get. And and there's much disagreement among even the very best of theologians. You get two of them in the same room together and they could go on for hours discussing some little detail of Scripture. And neither would they agree. That is why we must keep the cross and we must keep Jesus at the very centre of everything that we do. Listen, there's one thing that we hold on to with a closed hand, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ is God. That he came into this world, he lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross, and he died there for you and for you. He died there for each one of us, that we might have a relationship with God that without him would be impossible. But he's not dead now. No, Jesus rose from the dead and he reigns in heaven. He ascended to heaven and listen, one day he is coming back. That is the gospel, the story, that is the central truth. And listen, each time when we struggle with something in scripture, we go back to there. We go back to our foundation and we hold on to it because it is life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. We must never give up on that. But there are other things that Perhaps even this room we will certainly disagree on other things that are of secondary importance and we hold them with much more open hands. We don't become too dogmatic about them. And always remember that God knows your heart. He knows the difference between immaturity and rebellion. But also hear the warning of Revelation. The last words written of Scripture It's a dangerous thing to tamper with the Word of God. So from time to time, we need to stop and we need to challenge ourselves. And it's very easy for us to to take from or even to add to Scripture in very, very subtle ways be quietly ignoring parts of the scripture that we naturally disagree with or that our culture doesn't like very much or adding our own ideas which we like and we think that God should have put in there in the first place. This in our lives can sometimes reveal an attitude towards prophecy that just needs to be challenged. So which bits of God's word are you tempted to leave out? You want to cut them out because they're just too hard to accept. Which bits Perhaps you want to add in because you just find them too hard to reject. And what changes do you need to make in the way in which you read and respond to the Word of God? It's something to pray into over the next week. Allow the Holy Spirit just to show you areas where you need just to, to get right. Listen, if you're not spending time in the Word of God, get a plan. You know, we, particularly in the sort of charismatic circles, we, we don't like to get into disciplines because, you know, that's sort of, you know, we're, we're free and we're, we're spirit-filled. But listen, there are some good routines that you need in life. 
and spending time in the Word of God daily. This is a routine that you, if you're not doing it, start doing it. Listen, it'll change you. Honestly, it will radically change you as you allow God to speak into your life on a regular basis. The third thing is this. We need to live with expectancy. In Revelation 22, verse 20, we'll pick it up there. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. And we have learned from the very first verse of Revelation that this book that God has put before us reveals what must soon take place. It's Revelation 1, verse 1. And the letter ends by pointing to one event. Jesus is on his way. And three times it is emphasized in these closing verses that Jesus is coming soon. Verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. So what does it mean? What's this word soon mean? Well, this has caused a great deal of controversy, not surprisingly, down through the years. In fact, in the very first century, Peter addresses this in Second Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 to 10. And he tells us what's going to happen in those last days. And that there are going to be many who are going to scoff. There are many going to be making fun, saying, you know what, where's your Jesus? I thought he was coming back. I haven't seen him, you know. And, and people are, 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 are making fun of Peter right back in the first century. Now, things obviously haven't changed. In fact, probably got worse because the longer the time has gone on. And Peter would say, don't believe them. Don't listen to them. And we've been waiting for 2,000 years for Jesus to return and Peter would still say that you shouldn't be troubled by these things. Because soon, soon can also be translated that Jesus' coming will be sudden. We read about that in Revelation 16 and verse 15. Or it could mean that there are no other events that need to happen before his return. In other words, the next great event in world history and biblical history is the coming of Jesus. Or it could be that we need to view time from God's perspective. For one day is like a thousand years. Truthfully, probably all three of those things are right. But listen, He is coming. He's coming soon. And it is coming that will bring about everything that John saw and prophesied within the vision that we have spent the last few months looking at and talking about. And Revelation is a solemn warning that decisions determine character and character determines destiny. Listen, if you're struggling at the moment, if you're suffering and going through some difficulties within life, just as those early church would have been, those early readers were being persecuted for their faith, probably facing things that we could not even dream of. You could be forgiven for thinking or even asking the question, is this really worth it? All that we're going through, is this really worth the effort? Is he really going to be coming? And John's reply, yes. Jesus is returning and he will reward you, but you must be ready. And throughout history, there's been those who have predicted his return on a certain date, at a certain time, 
So they quit their jobs, they sell their property, they, they've actually sat and they've waited for Jesus to return. But that is not what it's meant to be ready. All of them have been embarrassed because it is unbiblical to set dates and times. It's also unbiblical to become careless and to become lazy just because we believe that Jesus is coming soon. And it's so important that we are ready for Jesus' return. So in verses 14 and 15, John says, we get ready by what we wear and by what we drink. Firstly, by what we wear. As the church of Christ, together, we are clothing ourselves in purity and righteousness the illustration we've seen time and time again in Revelation. It's like being dressed in a wedding dress of fine linen, bright and clean. That's what we read about, remember, in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. These are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. But don't forget, what makes you ready for this wedding is not your good works, but it's the work of Christ has done for you through his death. So if you accept Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, you will live for him. And it's not that we are saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, which God has prepared for you and given you to wear. And listen, that is what's going to be dazzlingly beautiful on that day. So as you repent of your sins, do you turn from them? Your stains are removed and you grow in godliness as you pursue Jesus. The second thing that we need to be doing is to be drinking the right things. We need to be drinking from the water of life. Listen, if you are thirsty this morning, there's only one place that you can find satisfaction for your thirst because Jesus is the living water. And this symbolically we drink him in. And what you read, what you watch, what you spend your time on will affect the way in which you live. And in fact, it will affect how ready you are, how much you're waiting for his return. And actually it will have a ma- make a massive difference to the way in which we actually live out our lives day to day. But it begins by accepting Jesus. It's got to start there. If I was to offer you a, a two-week holiday in some beautiful island somewhere over the summer and tell you, you know what, it's completely free. It's already been paid for by a generous friend. And I was to ask you just to come and sign up on the way out. The, good, the chances are I'd probably get knocked over in the rush. Yeah, most likely. Listen, this is eternity that we're talking about. Prepared and paid for by Jesus. And there's only one thing that prevents you from coming, your sin. And you need to be saved, and you need Jesus to save you. And if you've never accepted him into your life, you need to make that decision for Jesus this morning. It must start there. You turn from your sin, and you come to Jesus Christ, and you invite him into your life. Listen, he makes such a difference. But as Christians, we're called not just to come and make that prayer of faith, but we're called to live for him by faith. 
And in verse 11 it says, let him who is holy continue to be holy. And if you are a Christian this morning that is talking about and is talking to you, you need to be living a holy, a distinctive, a godly life today to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, to be led and guided by the power of the Spirit. And it's easy for us to get get buried in the day-to-day things of life and forget where everything is heading. But pray that the return of Christ would just fill your horizons. That you would look forward to it more and more as a bride longs for her bridegroom. This means that you will respond to God's grace by keep going in obedient faith. And that when you face the struggles and the difficulties and the challenges of life, you would be the one who overcomes and the one who inherits all that we have seen and all that we have talked about in this book of Revelation. Listen, heaven is more than just a destination. It's a motivation. Knowing what is ahead of you should make a difference in the way in which you live right here and right now. And the assurance of heaven must never lull us into some sort of complacency or indifference. In fact, the opposite should be true. It should motivate us to faithfulness and to obedience of God. But ultimately, this book of Revelation is written to remind us that Jesus is coming back soon. And Revelation is a book that is long, it's complex, it's challenging, it's thrilling. And it may be at times you've felt that it just seems too much even for your mind to begin to grasp, but this is what is coming, and this is where we will be. And one day we will stand in the presence of God without mourning or pain or crying or death, with peace and security, and we will know a joy that we cannot even begin to imagine at the moment with all of the believers through all of the ages who have lived faithfully and died faithfully. And Revelation is a book written to struggling and suffering Christians to ensure them that God is in charge, that Jesus will return, that Satan is defeated, and that this world one day will be all that we have ever longed it longed for it to be. And Revelation says to us in the ups and downs of life that Jesus is coming soon. So keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. And it finishes with a simple prayer, a prayer that we would do well to pray regularly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and find your church ready. Come, Lord, and find us as individuals ready. Father, that we would live faithfully for you, obediently before you, that we would have our eyes on eternity. But we thank you for the promise. We thank you for the hope. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we live a life of expectancy, a life 
that longs, a life that keeps our eyes on you, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray, fill us with your Spirit. Father, continue to work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we, we say sorry for those things that we have done that, that don't honor you, for those times when we have gone our way. But, Lord, we want to pray, Lord, by your Spirit, with the help of your Word, that you would keep us walking faithfully, one step in front of the other. Lord, through the good and the bad, keep us walking, I pray, towards heaven, towards eternity. And Lord, we pray this in your precious name and give you glory and honor. Amen. Amen.